Welcome to Divine Messy Human. I'm your host, Amanda Kate. This podcast is for the messily human, the ones who are trying their best and making mistakes. It is for those who want to embrace their messiness and learn to love it, realizing life gives us all lessons we need to learn. This is a space with no judgment, one where it is safe to show up as your whole authentic self and explore your mind, body, and soul. A word of warning, I can be a spiritual sailor, so if salty language offends, just cover your ears on occasion. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome back to Divine Messy Human. I am so excited today. I have with me Lino Martinez, who is a doctorate of psychology and is living at the forefront of his life for the first time as a man. So at birth, he had a rare genetic disease, Muckle-Wells syndrome. And the life journey, I will tell you, um, sounds just both challenging and inspiring and all the rest of it. But Lino was also born with the improper gender and transitioned from female to male to better match his authentic self. And I'm going to leave the bio there because it'll be in the show notes. And I just want to introduce you to the wonderful Lino. As soon as we met, we connected and I didn't know anything about him, but just, yeah, so much love for this man. So welcome, Lino. And thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. My pleasure. And I'm so happy to be here with you, Amanda, and be connecting again. Thanks so much for this platform. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I had to remember to press record because we started chatting and, I, you know, <laughs> I almost forgot to actually record it because we're doing the podcast. So right, right. so talk to talk to the um, audience a little bit about, you know, what Muckle-Wells syndrome is, how, how it manifested in your life and, and some of the, I guess, trials, tribulations and blessings it's given you. So you're asking me now at a point in my life where I'm very connected to my inner being source energy my highest self or at least trying to connect with my highest self as much as possible on a daily basis and so at this forefront and the way that i see it right now the being born with this genetic disease i chose to incarnate with i chose this disease and and chose it to learn lessons and there's so many lessons that i've learned being born with Muckle-Wells syndrome. And this disease is statistically one in a million in the United States. I'm not sure what it's like globally. And having such a rare genetic disease um, meant that it took a long time for me to get a diagnosis. Actually, I was 36 years old when they finally diagnosed me. And by then I had had probably about 30, 35 surgeries or so, something Mm -hmm. like that to save my life. But, um, if you want to get if we want to go backwards and think about the time before I was spiritual there was a time where I thought why is this happening to me or why was I born this way you know I was born a preemie I was actually a breech baby the cord was wrapped around my 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 neck and my mom had to have an emergency c-section so I used to always joke and say you know what I knew it was going to be a hard life I was committing (laughs) suicide in the womb (laughs) Oh. wrapping that cord around my neck saying hold on what contract wait what is she, no. what's in the fine lines what did i miss i'm not ready for this do you know yeah. how many times i say i swear they slipped the contract under my nose while i was having a spiritual yeah. line up at the bar or something and i went oh yeah fuck it i'll say yes to that and yeah, exactly. then went, what did i sign <laughs> exactly what did i sign myself up for so i think that i was really trying to end my life early and um but if we want to think of it more in a scientific clinical 
view or scientific view, I think what had happened at that point is what the, what happens with this rare genetic disease. It's it, it's uh, affected by the, it affects the NLRP3 genetic variant, and it mutates whenever there's stress. So I feel that that stress of whatever happened, me being a breech baby is what act, that's actually when the disease activated. Mm -hmm. So right before birth, because all my issues started from the time I was six months old um, until until my 40s, my early 40s. Wow. Yeah. Goodness. And what a long road for you to go through. How do you think that that also was affected by you being born in what you know to be the wrong body for you? So I will answer this in two parts. Again, mm -hmm. the first part, um, well, the first thing I'm going to say is coming now from my new self and my new sense of mm -hmm. loving myself entirely and wholesome, in a wholesome way. I well, the way that I see it is that I was born in the right gender, and mm -hmm. I have all to thank who I used to be, and I have no shame of saying that my name and who I was, Carolina. Mm -hmm. She's the most beautiful, awesome, badass chick there was is because she still lives inside me, and it was actually her that brought Lino to life. Mm -hmm. But before I could see that, I just saw the, the, the pain that I was, I wanted to be who you see now, the beard, yeah. the voice, the man, the hairy chest. This is the person that I saw back then, but it wasn't happening fast enough. I actually never even thought it would happen in this lifetime. Uh -huh. But at the time, I mean, I'm back in like 1984, 1985, growing up Catholic, growing up Latina, growing up in LA, all that stuff was forbidden. And, and I was forced to wear dresses. I was forced to wear a dress every day with bows in my hair and I hated it. Mm -hmm. But anytime I would, I would tell my mother, I wanna wear what my brother's wearing. I wanna wear corduroy, I wanna wear a polo shirt. I would get yelled at, no, girls don't wear these things. So I was like, okay, girls don't wear these things. You know, I had to be as feminine as possible and as girly as possible if I wanted to, the way I saw it, my family to love me. Because anytime I quote unquote, I, and I say quote unquote, because to my family, they saw it as a retaliation. Anytime mm -hmm. I would, sneak in my brother's closet and wear his clothes and if they saw me dress like a boy they thought I was fighting them why are you fighting us you know and so anytime I would finally put on a dress they loved me they hugged me you're so beautiful this is my daughter so I saw it as they're only gonna love me if I'm feminine and that was the biggest struggle that I had with my gender and how did what does it have to do with the disease I think it has a lot to do with the, the disease I feel it to be true because another part of of the I was another part of the, okay. So I was also born with something called 21 hydroxylase deficiency and 21 hydroxylase deficiency is a deficiency in the steroid hormone and being deficient in that steroid hormone means that I didn't get enough steroid hormone in my mother's womb. So, um, genitalia didn't formally completely form the way it was supposed to be, to be a complete full female. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't evident until I became a pubescent until things started growing and things started growing. And I'm yeah. like, things don't, and then I started experimenting with boys in my teens and they're like, yours doesn't look like other girls. And I'm like, what do you mean? You know, so, but it, it still took years until I figured out, okay, well, until I got the right diagnosis and figured out, well, I think that the disease 
didn't help me form fully the way I was supposed to. But either way, this was all meant to happen this way. I was meant to have the the experience, the duality that I that I experienced. I was meant to be a woman. I mean, this woman brought me a bachelor's degree. This woman brought me a master's degree. This woman brought me a doctorate <coughs> degree. Yeah. This woman was the first student speaker at my school. This woman knows now that what what it's like to be a woman. And this that woman knows what it's like to have uh, stage three cervical cancer cells. That woman knows what it's like to have a hysterectomy. That woman knows what it's like how to relate to my girlfriend. Like I, I know how to be with a woman a little more empathetic and more compassionately because I've been there. I've been sexually abused by men or I've been forced in bed by men when I said no. I know what it's like to be assaulted as a woman. I can be a little bit more empathetic and more loving towards the, the divine feminine. And I'm blessed to have been her. Mm-hmm. So I just, um, but that's coming from a more awareness me. Had you asked me this question five years ago, there would still be a lot of hate and, and don't make sure you don't misgender me, you know, but I'm over all that. I love who I used to be. I love that you say that because I think a lot of that growth and development is what brings us that compassion, the empathy, the understanding of where we were, all of that stuff. So I think it's a really beautiful thing that before both answers, you mentioned, well, I'm coming from where I am now, which obviously is the place that we want to come from because we've done the work, we've done the growth, we've done the healing from a lot of those uh disunity aspects i guess you know well how does this and this fit together i think it's getting comfortable with paradox understanding the paradox within ourselves understanding that you know multiple things can be true at the same time you know you can be sitting here as a man and love the woman that you were which i think is a beautiful thing to say as we were talking about before we're just souls in a meat suit (laughs) oh yeah totally yeah we are and we're yeah, yeah go, go. No, you say. <laughs> We're definitely souls in a meat suit. And this is the meat suit that I have right now. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I, the journey was for me to live both genders in this lifetime. And I accept it and I love it. And even in this meat suit, I mean, even all my scars and through all the surgeries that I've gone through, losing my urinary bladder. I mean, I've got a, a, a grip of scars from that down my down my belly. And all of that means nothing. You know, there's just there's just evidence of things that I had to learn, go through to have life lessons and to also understand what suffering is in this life and to also understand the suffering of other people. You know, it's interesting. I told the same thing to another friend, um, actually an acquaintance, I will say, I can't say we're real friends. Mm. And, 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 um, and they mentioned to me that they said in their, in their own words that they felt that it sounded pretentious for me to say that I went through so much suffering to understand other people's sufferings. And I, and I really didn't have much to say about that other than that's their own opinion, because my my own feelings about it is that this is my journey. And because of how much suffering, the suffering that I've gone through and everything, all the over 40 surgeries I've gone through, I am able to understand more people's suffering. I do know what it's like to not talk for two and a half years. I know what it's like to be losing my hearing. I know what it's like to be in the deaf culture. I know what it's like to be in the hospital for three weeks. I know what it's like to take five years to heal from a surgery and have chronic infection. I know all this stuff. And, and because I know all this stuff, I love people even more and I have less judgment and just a lot more love in my heart because of it. It's an interesting projection, isn't it? That that's a pretension rather than an awareness and a life journey 
and an expanded state of consciousness from our suffering because i think we do suffer for a reason we choose a lot of our suffering let's face it oh yes we do we we, we really do we do choose our suffering and we don't have to suffer you know the one thing i've 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 figured out now in this now in this moment in time is that we don't have to suffer you don't have to suffer to get to the other side you don't have to suffer to find joy like all these things are really are your choice. And I'm I, honestly, I'm done suffering. Yeah, no, I I'm feel done, I'm done with it. <laughs> so I so resonate with that because again, I mean, I look at the things that I went through. My marriage was 14 years long. We were rarely happy. We showed happiness to the outside and we had moments where we got along well or what have you, but there was always criticism and, you know, questioning of who I am and all of these really quite terrible cat and mouse type games at times. Yeah. And I look at it and I remember almost crashing my car going down the Nepean highway because something dropped into my head and it went, you always knew where the door was. You could have walked out any day. And I went, Oh, (laughs) that's huge. But it was true. I chose to stay. Yes. I chose to be abused. I chose not to stand up for myself in a way that could have stopped the abuse. And that was mind boggling to me. And then I've gone away and I've done some of the work to go into those deep places that were those deep wounds that made me choose what I chose and now allow me to choose differently. Talk to me a little bit about that journey, because as much as like I'm super fascinated about, you know, both the disease and being born in, you know, the body that you were and all of the trials and tribulations. But as you know, I love the spiritual journey. It is one of those things that fascinate the hell out of me. Yeah, me too. Talk to me a little (laughs) bit about your transition. I mean, I know there's so many ups and downs and roundabouts and going down the feeling like you're going down the wrong path. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that awakening process for you. You know, to actually the reason why I decided to transition, I was 34 years old and I I lost my urinary bladder at 33. After losing my urinary bladder, I it was one of the most devastating things I've gone through in my life. I mean, I wasn't even sure if I was going to live. I've only met one person in my life and he was in his 90s as had their bladder removed. Have you met anyone that's had their urinary bladder removed? <laughs> Never. Exactly. I mean, it's 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 that rare. And so when I went through that and uh, and, and still questioned, would I will I be able to live without a bladder and having um, tubes, six, six tubes and urinary bags out of my my abdomen and living alone and um, not being able to walk. And having a urinary bag, it was it was awful. And so I remember being in the hospital, and I and at the time I wasn't obviously spiritually aware. I wasn't aware that I was supposed to go through this journey. But I did ask myself. I said, you know, what do I really want in my life? If I'm not going to live long, I don't want to die in this wrong body. All I ever wanted to do is be a boy. I just want to wear boy clothes. I just want to feel like myself. I want to become a man. Is that ever going to happen? And and at the time. It, transgenders were now starting to come out and there was Tumblr and YouTube and a lot of trans guys. Yeah, I'm just on hormones. And I was taken aback. I was like, well, you got a beard on? You sound like a dude. You look like a real, you were a girl. 
And so I started doing a lot of, you know, research and getting really pumped up by it and really getting excited about it. And I thought, you know what, the only thing that's exciting me right now in my life, aside from I can't do anything being disabled, is that, you know, I, and at, at the time I was already, I already had my doctorate and graduated four years before that. And I was like, I'm not being a doctor. I'm not ha having patients. I'm not even doing what I went to school to do. All I want to do is be. And at this moment, I want to be me. And so I made the decision really without telling anybody. I didn't, I was afraid as fuck to tell my parents. There's no way I was going to tell them. I was their only daughter. You know, they have a son. I mean, now they have two sons, but, <laughs> but I, and then, and then, and not only that, Amanda, I was a very beautiful girl, very pretty, you know? And so I, I was, they were going to have to say goodbye to that beautiful, lovely female doctor, quote unquote, that they had, you know, that was all their, their fantasies. And it was time for me to live my fantasy, my dream. And so I, I made the decision and um, I, I had broken up with my girlfriend at the time because she, um, she was a lesbian and we were lesbians together. And when I told her I was thinking about transitioning, she said, hold up a minute, hold up. That, are you gonna take your titties off? And I'm like, maybe, you know, maybe. And she said, wait, wait, wait a minute. Are you gonna grow facial hair? And I was like, I hope so, you know? And she was like, oh, well, I got, I got to think about this. And so when she said that, I thought at the moment, this isn't going to work out. Mm -hmm. What do you, what is there to think about? No, this is who I am. This shows me that even though I've been telling you that I'm a man, you're still seeing me as a woman mm -hmm. and that that's not going to work out. So I broke up with her, which was really hard because she was a beautiful, great, great woman. And I broke her heart, but I had to do what I had to do to become myself fully without any quote, I'm going to say quote unquote repercussions or feeling mm -hmm. guilty or bad or walking on eggshells. So I saw the endocrinologist and then I had to see, you know, my, my psychologist, my therapist, they all knew they wrote the letters and they said, you need at least two years of therapy. At this time I had maybe 10 years of therapy. I was ready. I was ready. Yeah. And so it started with gels. And, um, because I was older, I started growing facial hair a lot sooner than most trans guys do when they transition younger, you know? So, and my voice started changing and very fast. And so I, it started to bring joy into my life. I started to be happier. I was like, oh man, I'm going to be a boy now for real. I love Pinocchio. I'll always love Pinocchio, the cartoon. And I was like, I always wanted to be a real boy. And I love that cartoon. And now it's happening. I wished and I wished upon that fairy godmother and I'm being blessed by it. But uh, the more masculine I became, the more fearful I became to see my family. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think maybe two years had passed about where I'd I refused to see my mom and dad for like the first two years. I was afraid of them. Mm -hmm. And it was a Thanksgiving. And my mom kind of knew because I would send her pictures off and on. This is what I look like now. And she'd be like, oh, okay. She didn't really say much. And then uh, I specifically remember it being a Thanksgiving. And I went to see them. And I had a polo shirt. My voice was cracking. And I, I, I probably looked like an 18-year-old boy, you know? <laughs> And I, I felt good. I actually felt really good. And so my mom was like, wow, you, you look different. And she was like feeling my chest, you know, like, oh, you're changing, you know. And, and my brother was just kind of quiet, just kind of eating. And, and my dad, we were at the dinner table. My dad was quiet. And I said, so, uh, so dad, I've changed a lot, huh? And he put his, his fork down and his food and he, he pushed his plate aside. And he said, he says, yes, you have. And don't you ever expect me to, to accept this. And I was like, holy moly my brother grabs his thanksgiving dinner and he walks out <laughs> my brother's like, i'm out of here you know <laughs> and so my mom walks out crying you know and i'm just sitting there with my dad really uncomfortable and i saw the pain in his eyes and at that moment i said to myself don't forget you went to school to be a psychologist be present he's in pain 
and I seen his eyes were watery and he's just looking at me and he's saying, I don't, I don't know you. I don't, I don't know who this is. And, and I looked at him and I saw his pain and I said, I can see father. I could see you're in pain. He goes, you don't know the pain that I'm in. You will never know what this pain feels like to me. And he was choked up and I was, I'm feeling choked up telling you right now, honestly. I'm feeling choked up. <laughs> I really am. It, 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 it's, it's tough. It's tough to even to remember. And I, and I, and I just knew at that point that I, I had to leave him alone. So I went upstairs to my old bedroom and my mother came in and she hugged me and she said, don't worry about it. He'll come around. And she, for the first time, my mother said, you know, I love you. And my mother had never really said, I love you to me. She grew up very cold and she was an alcoholic. So to hear her tell me she loves me now as her son, it meant a lot to me. And that's all I, I really needed to hear. But I also felt sad for my father. And I wanted to tell him so bad that I loved him. And I just wanted him to love me. Yeah. And um, he, he eventually he came around. It took about maybe three more years after that. But he finally came around. And I remember the day he came around, he sent me a birthday card that said to my son. And that to me was like hearing the hallelujah song, you know, and seeing yeah, the ray of wow. light just come on me. I was like, oh, finally, he sees me. He sees me. But mm-hmm. it, it, it was it was a it was a tough journey. It wasn't it wasn't easy. So aside from it being really tough with my mom and my dad and my brother, I had to also grieve, do a lot of grieving of the childhood I didn't have as a boy. I started to actually have some depression. I'm like, OK, not only was I not born healthy. And not only am I dealing with this genetic disease that's progressing, but now I'm this 38-year-old man. I'm not a 38-year-old fucking man. Mm-hmm. I have just four years on testosterone. How am I a 38-year-old man? It takes a man 38 years to become a 38-year-old man. And so I started to kind of get lost in that. And, like, and, and then I was, I, would, I was even single. I mean, actually, I was single for eight and a half years before I found a girlfriend. But at this point, I'm like, I'm four years single. I have no experience with a woman. I don't know what it's like to be a man. I don't know what it's like to be a young boy, to fall on my knees, to get dirty, to break a leg. I don't know what it's like to be a teenage boy, to be shy, have my first kiss with a girl, to go to the prom. I don't know what it's like to be a boy, in my tw- a man in my 20s or even in my 30s. Now, all of a sudden, I'm a 38, almost 40-year-old man. I don't know what it's like to go to school as a man. What's it like to be a student as a man? What's it like to even be in the working force as a man? I don't know anything as a man. The only thing I know is that I feel a man. I feel like a man and I have to be who I feel and what I feel. So I started to even get a little depressed about this. Where am I in life? And I'm grieving the life I didn't have as, a, as growing up to be a full grown man. And so I had to go, I had to go inward. And, and this is really where my spiritual journey began. And as I started to go inward, the disease was progressing. And as the disease progressed, what the disease does is it causes an atypical paralysis because of inflammation in my peripheral nerves and my motor nerves. And by this time, the disease had paralyzed my vocal cords. And I, it, was, it was awful for me. So I didn't talk for two and a half years. And so when I didn't talk for two and a half years, I, I thought all kinds of shit, Amanda. I was thinking, you know what? I, this whole time I was worried about, what am I going to sound like a man? Will my voice be deep like a man? And I don't even have a voice of a man. I don't have a voice at all. And, and I started to go through this depression. I thought, you know, I went to school to be a doctor, to listen to patients, to talk to patients. Now I wear hearing aids and now I can't talk. What am I going to do with my life? And so it was at that time where I feel that that, that my time in silence was really my higher self telling me, Lino, sit your ass down and listen. You weren't listening before. This is going to be your way to listen in silence. And, and if you lose your hearing, you're going to lose your hearing. You have to accept it. 
So I thought, what is my life going to be like deaf and mute? What am I supposed to do? And so I started to, um, what happened is one of my friends invited me to see a Buddhist monk talk on stage. And I was like, I'd love to, sure, whatever, well, I, let's do it, you know? And that changed my life, Amanda. I saw this incredible, beautiful monk in, on stage, the lights on him, he's in his robes, his orange robes. And he spoke for about two hours about suffering, about life, about meditation, about how you don't have to be suffering just because you're in pain. And just because you're in pain, you don't have to be suffering. And I was like, what in the world? All this makes sense to me. And I started to see the light and I really dove deep into Buddhism. And for those two and a half years of silence, I attended and I volunteered at a Buddhist temple. I attended classes three times, three days a week. I was even part of their Buddhist classes, two hours a night studying this thick 700 page book, I was determined to figure out how to end my suffering and how to start to love myself so that I can love others, invite others into my love and invite my love into others life and just kind of reciprocate it. I was ready to receive it and I was ready to give it. And so lo and behold, when I started to meditate, I started to get visions. And just so that people understand if they're listening to, for the first time, what a vision is to me, and I started to get messages in the form of daydreams, kind of like, it, or, or thoughts, kind of like if you're staring into space and you start getting these thoughts that come in, where are these thoughts coming from? What are these thoughts that I'm seeing that are coming in? And I started to realize that it was my higher source, that it was source energy, that it was the all source knowing, that it was God, that it was Buddha, that it was Jesus, that it was all holy divine nature coming to me to show me this positive aspect about my life. And it started to show me the things that I was going to do in life. And one of the things was, you're going to write your book about your life. And I said, okay, I'll do that. I'll start, I'll start tomorrow. And it said, and you're going to start a podcast and you're going to start uplifting the world. And I'm like, really? How am I going to do a podcast without a voice? You know, this is ridiculous. Come on. You know? You're giving me this list of things to do. I'm happy to do them, but there's a few things you need to do for me. <laughs> exactly. And I thought, how is that going to happen? And, and I would feel the words and hear the words trust or think the words trust, believe, have faith. And I'm like, okay, trust, believe, have faith. Okay, I'll do this. And the more I trusted, the more I believed, the more I had faith. I got in alignment with the right doctors. I got on the right immunosuppressants. And um, I had a few surgeries to go through. Actually, it took two years to get on the immunosuppressants because I I had some three masses in my larynx. I needed laryngeal surgery. I needed to have a hysterectomy, all kinds of stuff that I needed to have before they would put me on these immunosuppressants. And that took two years. Wow. And when I finally had the hysterectomy and healed from it, I finally had the masses out of my larynx taken out. I, I said, okay, I'm ready for these immunosuppressants. And sure enough, my voice started to come back. I had speech therapy. My body started to get stronger. And I started to have more faith. And uh, the first year of my podcast was with one vocal cord, which was very painful. So I'll, often I would look at the time like, oh, man, it's only been 10 minutes. Oh, they're still talking. I want this to be over. But I knew I had to keep going. And, and here I am two and a half, almost two and a half years later, still podcasting 188 episodes. I have full control of my life, full control of my vocal cords. I can sing a mariachi song and I'm thriving for the first time. And I feel in alignment. I have a girlfriend, a beautiful girlfriend that doesn't judge me for my scars or my past or, or who I was. So, um, oh. yeah, the story is, is to uplift the, the world and to tell people to keep going. And no matter what you're going through, know that there's always a reason, always a purpose to it. And there is beauty in grieving. So just understand that there's beauty all around you, no matter 
what how low you're feeling there's always going to be a backup yeah oh look and i love so much of your story and as soon as we met i just i really could feel that love and that spiritual divinity coming out of you the 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 belief in life and love and the i think there is something for people who've been suffering and who've gone through trials and tribulations that opens the heart a lot more it's that you know as lennon cohen said that that's how the light gets in is through all those cracks exactly. also you know, I think it's beautiful that you'd done the doctorate in psychology, you understood how to deal with your dad, and that your mum and dad would have been grieving as well. They had to grieve their daughter whilst they're welcoming a son. Your brother had to grieve his sister to welcome his brother. All of oh, these yes. different aspects of grief, and you're having to grieve not just the the lost childhood, but also the childhood you had, but also, you know, there's so many different aspects and layers of grief, I think, in our healing journey of the roles we had, the roles we could have had, the roles we may have had, the all of those different aspects. And I think we deal with grief so, so poorly, usually. And yeah, you mentioned, yeah, go. Yeah. Something that's helped me is when I started meditating a lot, I started to see a lot of my past lives. I did a lot of past life regression and seeing the many different men that I've been in past lives already that I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't miss out on a childhood. That was just this life. I mean, I've lived countless past lives. And it's another thing I learned in Buddhism. We've lived hundreds of thousands of lives. I've been a man and a woman so many times. That's just this journey. I'm not really, I'm not, I'm, I'm not grieving anything at this point. There's nothing to grieve. There's only to accept and to welcome. Oh, that is such a beautiful, beautiful point. You mentioned <laughs> about the judgment aspect and obviously you felt it from, you know, your parents, whether, you know, projected or assumed or whatever. Um, you know, that moment with your mom is so just beautiful. And the fact that your father came around again, I just yeah. absolutely love that. As I've said before, we're <laughs> souls in a meat suit. Um, so for me, it's just, okay, yep, you, <laughs> do you do you and i've just got to love and accept you but talk about some of that judgment that you have faced i know we mentioned a story before we started that i think would really benefit others um would you mind sharing that with them now yeah you know for for a long time i did protect myself coming out as transgender especially when i was really passing or i looked like a 13 year old boy or a 16 year old boy I didn't even tell people how educated I was because I look like a pubescent boy. Like, yeah, right. You're a doctor. What in the world? No. And I did get that a couple of times at some parties I went to. And when I meeting new people or whatever, and they're like, well, what do you do? Or did you go to school? I'm like, yeah, like, yeah right. People didn't believe me. You know, I was like, okay, well, why would they believe me? I, I'm not telling them I'm transgender. And to them, I look like a 14 year old pubescent boy with acne and barely any facial hair. I'm sure. I, I wouldn't believe me either. So there was a lot of hiding that I did in the beginning and, and even hiding my breasts. I had, I had nice breasts, but I had to hide them, you know, and I'd tape them shut down with, with electric tape and I would wear a tank top and then I would wear a shirt over it to make sure. And I would hunch over. There was a lot of insecurities the first three to four years of, of my transition. And um, so I hid a lot and, and I didn't, I didn't go out a lot. And not only did I hide because I was transgender, I also hid because I had a urinary bag. I was mm -hmm. had this disability. I didn't want to catheterize in public. I didn't want to catch a disease, you know, so I was double hiding. 
and but the once I had my top surgery and my chest started to look more like a man, I started to feel more in alignment with myself, making the disability a little more easier. That's fine. So I have to catheterize in public. I'll be fine. You know, th little things became a little more easier. And so I really didn't face any discrimination because I didn't come out and I didn't, I wasn't trans and proud, you know, I wasn't going to the parades. I wasn't, I wasn't going to the gay, the LGBTQIA parades. I didn't want to, because in my, in my head, I felt, hold on a minute. I'm not representing LGBTQIA. I'm representing the disabled community. I don't think these people know what it's like to not be able to walk. These people don't know what it's like to, I mean, I'm not saying these people and categorizing them specifically <laughs> because clearly there are disabled LGBTQIA community. Mm. But when you're like a triple quadruple minority, you really start to kind of hide yourself a little more. And that's just how I felt at the time. And so I, I wasn't going out. I wasn't meeting people. And so when I, by the time I was finally passing, passing meaning I look like a man now and I sound like a man now and no one's going to second guess me. I'm safe now. I didn't really experience any discrimination until recently. <laughs> yeah. So recently there was a guy that reached out to me to see if he wanted me. To, and I mean, recently, like, like under two months ago, wow. asked me if I wanted to be on his podcast and he wanted to do a discovery call to see if we were a fit. And I said, sure, you know, no problem. And so we were in his discovery call and he he, he wanted to, he said he always wanted to have a, a, a psychologist on his podcast to talk about narcissism and would I be willing to talk about that? And I said, no problem. Let's talk about it. And he goes, okay, great. I can't wait. So tell me about yourself, man. You know? And I said, all right, dude, no problem. So I'm talking about myself as I'm telling you, but really quick within five minutes, you know, I, I survived rare genetic disease and I also transitioned from a female to male at 34. And he was like, whoa, bro, what? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he goes, no, hold on a minute you just caught me off guard, man. And I was like, um, I, I still didn't get it at that point. I'm like, Oh, how did I catch you off guard? He was like, and he said, Oh, I thought you were all a dude. That's the first thing he said. Go, I just thought you were a dude. I'm like, well, I am a dude, you know? And he said, he goes, you know what? He goes, people that listen to my podcast, they know that I don't, I hate transgenders. So you can't talk about this on my show. Okay. And I was like, Whoa, I, okay. You know, so I, I was taken aback and I and, and he just I was taken aback by him using the word hate and then by him mm -hmm. still saying, I want you, but can you can you still be on my show and talk about narcissism? Just don't bring up your don't bring up your life. And so I, I agreed at that moment. But when I hung up the, the discovery call, I felt in disalignment. I felt um, discriminated. I felt that this was not the right path for me and that I was going to have to tell him, no, I can't be on your show. You know, as I said I to you before, it's like, bring your whole self to my show and share all of this stuff. But actually, you've got to leave that whole self over there. <laughs> yeah. How is that going to happen? Yeah. What, what people are going to be really vulnerable and share, but just not. <laughs> exactly. So then I, I emailed him the next day and I said, I'm not a fit for your show and, and I'm sorry. And thank you for the opportunity. And he says, he responded, you know, I was really looking forward to you mind me asking why. And so I actually, the way I responded to him is I said, the first thing I said to him, if, and he's Latino, I'm Latino. So I felt comfortable saying this. I said, if I told you that on my podcast, I hate, I, I don't interview Latinos because I hate them, but I want your professional opinion on something. It's not coming from a pure heart. And I said, I, I have no shame with who I am, with what I've gone through and I and people, your guests, your listeners, they can easily find who I am by Googling me. They're going to find out I'm transgender and that doesn't go 
hand in hand with your topics in, in, in how you handle your podcast. And I, and I wished him love. I wished him light and wisdom for him and his family. And that was it. And I didn't hear back from him. Mm. So I, I see it now that it was for a couple of days, I was distraught. And I thought, you know, wow, did I bring this into my vibration? What am I learning from this? But after meditating on it and being a little silent about it, I realized that I was actually on his path to teach him a lesson, to teach him to open up his heart, to teach him, to show him that you cannot judge someone by the way that they look. And that it's wrong to want someone's professional opinion when you're going to be still judging them. You know, can like I also just put one in for your of lesson? Of course you can. Yeah. You're finding your voice in a different way. Yeah, right. <laughs> Having lost it for so long. And you said this is one of the first major forms of discrimination you've come against. I mean, somebody saying they hate you to your face is, is pretty much pretty for you to be able to find your voice yes. in that way, to speak up with love and compassion, to speak yes. up with empathy and to give that gift of, I mean, if somebody told me they hated me, I don't know if I'd be as um, compassionate or polite. I'd be like, fuck off then. Yeah. <laughs> I love that about you, Amanda. I want to be more like you. I, I, However, I, wish I could say that, you know, but that I, doesn't always work. Out. <laughs> Sometimes we have to find the love and compassion way. But again, I think it's beautiful that you're finding your voice in so many different ways. Having I lost am. it, having had to go through that period of silence, the period of self-reflection, that period of listening. Now you're in that, you know, two and a half years of discovering your voice and what you have to say, not have to say, but have to say within the broader world about love and acceptance and compassion as you yes. say being part of a group or multiple groups who have been othered in society you know i i was mentioning the story to you about the fact that there's something like 72 gender labels at the moment i did not and know that 72 <laughs> gender labels how in the world i well, i, I, don't, I can't possible. think of them all if some if uh, the numbers out there and they've thought about it it's possible everything's yeah, possible absolutely my thing was I had um, my children coming home talking about different labels and I, I, my response to them was just how about we take all of the labels off, you just be you, you find people who love, respect you, who you love and respect, who you have fun with, who have fun with you and you just do what makes you happy, be with who makes you happy do your experimentation, do your fun bit, and then make a decision when you've actually had, you know, romantic, loving interactions with people, then maybe find a label rather than looking at the label first and then trying to fit the experiences to those labels. Let's just get rid of them. I wouldn't have I known when I that. first spoke to you that, you know, you used to be a woman and I couldn't care less. You showed love and compassion and empathy. And I love your story because I think it is really you showing up as you. Thank you. And, and that is what I resonate with. Yeah. Talk to a little bit more about what spirituality means to you. You've spoken a fair bit about, you know, the Buddhism that the visions Talk to me a little bit more about what your version of spirituality is, how you experience it in your life. I'll tell you one thing. It's not, it's label free. 
I'll tell you that that's the first thing. I, I don't agree with labels at all. I'm, I'm, I mean, as the cliche is there, I've heard it many times where a lot of spiritual people, but that is the truth that I'm a soul. I'm a spirit, I have a human experience and uh, there's no labels in that. And the only label, if there was a checkbox, it would be love. That's it. That's mm -hmm. our only reason for existing. That's our only reason for being here. That's the only reason for expansion. And that's the only reason for giving and receiving and connecting. It's all about love. And if we, if we can all vibrate on that love vibration, there wouldn't be any labels. There wouldn't be any wars. There wouldn't be any, any clubs for this person or clubs for that person, any separation. Everybody would be included. And so my spirituality comes from feeling my soul and knowing that I'm one with source when I'm walking outside and I see the trees in front of me, feeling their energy, knowing that they're, they can feel my love and that I can feel their love, knowing that they drink the same water that I do, that the same water consciousness is giving them life. It's giving my cells life. We're all unit. We're all unified in the most beautiful way. And so, um, a lot of the times it can be a little difficult if people are not on that same vibration to because I see a lot of pain and a lot of hate and a lot of that pain and a lot of hate from other people comes from them not realizing that we're all together and that we're all connected. And when you start to see the connection there, there's just only there's only expansion together and connection. I mean, the body, the, the body is like the earth. You know, we we've got a heart. We've got we've got our feet, we've got our brain, just as the, the, the planet has the ocean, the planet has mountains, those are the planet's organs. The planet has its organs and we have our organs and we are the same match as this planet and we're here to have a human experience with the spiritual planet. The planet, the planet is alive. The planet has a consciousness. The planet's consciousness is equal to our consciousness and our body is equal to the earth's body. And once people can start to radiate that same connection, they will start to see that all inclusivity is that we seek and that we seek is in our face every day. People are constantly pushing it away rather than just letting it in. Oh, so much. Yes. In that. So much. Yes. <laughs> Interesting. What you were saying about the um, organs of the earth. I only realized a couple of years ago, apparently mangroves work as the earth's kidneys. So they filter what? and flush. Yeah. And the rainforest, as we know, is the lungs. But I wow. was I was really surprised that mangroves were the kidneys because apparently they filter and flush. And yeah, I thought that was really I didn't cool. know that, Amanda. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those things that just popped into my head while you were saying. And I'm like, I forgot that piece of information. Clearly yeah. it's in there. That's incredible. I, I love being out in nature and I think the more I've connected with my spirituality and my my form of divinity, my form of um, practicing what I practice, I've needed more and more time in nature. I've needed less time on screens. I've needed more time alone. Right. Right, right. And I've and I was always one of those people who was life of the party. I actually couldn't imagine anything worse right now than going <laughs> to a party and having to and do the small talk. <laughs> I do. I'm much better one on one. And I think I've started to really settle into that now of going, you know what, I'm happy with a one on one conversation rather than, you know, Same massive oh, I love I love one on one. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely love it. too. So much more intimate. But I, I really, I really did enjoy that explanation of spirituality. And one of the things that I've been loving doing this podcast is 
everybody I've spoken to has a very similar idea of spirituality and they all describe it in such beautiful ways that are all slightly different, but also the same, which again, when we take that micro to the macro, that's exactly what you're talking about. We are all part of the collective conscious and we're all our own unique expression of that. And yeah, it's so cool. (laughs) It is, you know, and I, and and going back to like the whole podcasting, I had this other, um, this gentleman, I'm I'm just assuming that I believe they actually, they go by they, them pronouns, but Mm -hmm. they were transgender and they wanted to see if I was a fit for the podcast. And their podcast was about labels. Like, Mm -hmm. how do you feel being labeled this and labeled that? And, and right away I knew we weren't a fit because Mm -hmm. I said, I don't label. I'm not in a label. And I saw them kind of sit back like, oh, well, this doesn't have anything to do with their podcast in that case. And I, and I realized there's just so many people in that community and a lot of communities where they label themselves that they're boxing themselves in and they're not realizing that they're trapping themselves. And I accept them and I love them and I see them all in their pure divinity, not in a checkbox. And I wish I could say that to them, but I can't because they, a lot of them, uh, and I'm not saying them as the pronoun hmm. them, but I mean, I know what you mean. Generalizing hmm. are, are still living in, in a lot of pain and not really in full awareness of their eternal being, hmm. their eternal expansiveness their eternal soul energy, the source energy. And so um, I wish I could support that community a little more. However, I'm more on a spiritual Mm-hmm. ascension and 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 i'm done labeling i did the labeling and that didn't yeah. work for me it yeah. brought me down i think as you say labeling keeps us in boxes of our own making and it limits yeah. us so much when we start to go well actually how does this label fit um i've had a few examples with you know my children as i mentioned you know just telling them to take all those labels off one of my children also came to me and said mom am I on the spectrum and I just laughed and went oh honey yes you are I said but so am I I said so is everybody that's why it's called a spectrum I said you're perhaps more spectrumy than some because very rules-based very sensitive to loud sounds very I said you've got all of it and if we put that label on you and you start identifying by that label how much could that potentially limit your life? If you want the label eventually, you can go get it. But I don't want to be the cause of you having that label on you because people will treat you differently. They will teach you differently. And at the moment, you are learning perfectly well. You are integrating perfectly well. You know yourself so beautifully. I said, how about you just go, well, this is just me and my little quirks rather than getting another label because then you can love them as your own individuating qualities and not box yourself in and especially with the career you are wanting those labels can be quite damaging whereas if you go in with no labels okay you may find some later that really fit that you really want to identify with but you are just this human having an experience as a soul in a human body on a human plane in this 3d reality how about we just get rid of them and i've done the same with clients who've got add adhd different neurodiversities i'm like you know what 
it's great that you know that so you know how you learn best but how about you pull the label in to be able to go okay this is how i learn best but then park the label for a bit rather than identifying as the label as you say and boxing ourselves into this tiny limitation unfortunately though we do have to label ourselves in the yeah. medical, care, medical care system and stuff like that you know but i do pray and i do wish and i do hope for a future where all we're so inclusive that it's not going to matter and all hmm. doctors will have training on how to how to best handle all people of mm. all genders of all spectrum and not be just so categorized okay i'm only handling transgenders community mm. and that's it how about you handle transgenders and the elderly and the disabled and just is like for example veterinarians mm. they don't have veterinarians they cover everything they go to vet school they become surgeons they, they become dentists for the pet they do all of it they don't, you know what I mean? One vet does it all for the animal. So it's kind of like the same thing. I'm hoping for a future where a doctor can just do the most for an individual. Obviously you're gonna have to have specialists, heart specialists and stuff like that for the organs. But in treating a person, like just physically, they come into your office, are you human? Yes, okay, I know I know how to handle you. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's part of what I've loved about the, the healing work that I've done in terms of kinesiology, the archetypal life coaching it is, it's looking at you as a total human. It's looking at your physical, mental, emotional, psychological, spiritual self and going, okay, what's not working for you? What's out of alignment? Where is that energy not flowing properly? And that's why I say to you know my kids about you take the label on to understand how you function best and then you park the label. It's not you. It helps you understand you exactly. and it's one that you can pull in when you need it, but you pull it in, you understand how it relates to you and then you just park it. And yes. it's that because, you know, I identify as a woman. I feel a woman. I've, you know, as I said to you, my passion and purpose archetypes are all the divine feminine. Exactly. <laughs> it's me. It's a fully ingrained. And yet most of the time out there, I'm not walking around going, hi, my name's Amanda. I'm a woman who likes, you know, sleeping with men. And this is what, I'm just me. I go and order my coffee and I'll go and do this and I'll go and do, and I'm just me. I don't, I often don't even say my name. I don't often use other people's names because I use terms of endearment. My kids tease me about it because they're like, which darling did you mean here? <laughs> yeah. But you know what, Amanda, a lot of, a lot of people in certain communities might argue with you and say, well, that's your, that's because you're privileged. You're privileged yeah. being born in this right body. You're pri privileged, you know, not having to question stuff. But I mean, in my defense is even privilege is a, is a, is a label, you know, like, and because, because nobody knows what it's like to have lived your life in general. I mean, maybe, uh. maybe they're the person saying that is privileged that they didn't get to, that they didn't have, some of the experiences that you had or of abuse or with your husband or narcissistic or whatever it is. Maybe they don't know what it's like to go through that. Either yeah. way, they're all situations and they're all yeah. experiences. I also argue so that just, privilege uh, yeah. thing that everybody is suffering in their own exactly. way. Yes. And we, you know, I have suffered at the hands of men, at, of the hands of women, at the hands of religion, at the hands of, right. and, and so when, and I've had that thrown at me before, and I understand that there is a certain privilege that comes with having white skin and being middle class and all the rest of it. And I also 
know that I have so many of the t-shirts of life is experience in so many different colors and sizes because exactly. I've tried so many different things on. And a lot of that suffering, as I say, was my choice. I am privileged. I was born in the right body. I think, you know, I wasn't born in any other body. And so there is that privilege there. And I acknowledge and accept that. And also I'll put my hand up to all of the other things I've experienced that have made it not feel very privileged. I didn't know who I was until after 37. Sure, I believe it. Which is, I now look at these young kids I've got coming into clinic, these, you know, people in their teens and 20s, and I'm just like, I'm so glad you're finding this work now because you're saving, you know, 20 years of heartache on. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That's the truth. That is the truth right there. (laughs) oh it's so wonderful I could honestly speak to you all day I just think it's it's absolutely wonderful so how do you feel that your experience in life helps you bring your unique expression into this world how has it informed what you share how you share the podcast even why a little less fear Mm So the first thing that came to my head when you said all that, the word that came to my head was intuition. And I'm feeling that the reason why intuition came to my head is because all of this, when when I think back at all my experiences, including A Little Less Fear podcast, including the title of my book, A Little Less Fear, with A Little Less Fear, I was able to just uh, tune in to my inner being, meaning be a little more intuitive and I'm constantly working on being more intuitive and what does intuition mean to me and when when is intuition mostly heightened and what is intuition is it being purposeful is it being intentional is it inner guidance is it my inner north star is it my inner navigation system is it spirit is it soul is it mediumship or the other spirits talking to me what is it And then I see it that it's all collective and that it is an eternal consciousness. And when I tune into the intuition, everything comes into alignment. And the perfect alignment right now is being here with you because the only thing that really matters is the present moment. And that is the most wonderful thing, the most beautiful thing that I've learned out of everything that I've done in my life. My unique experience is always bringing everything back to the present moment. And so many times you'll hear this in life, people hear that, be present, be present, be present. And I've heard, you know, that's why a present's called a present because it's in the present moment. I'm getting a present. I'm opening. It's beautiful. It's a present in the present moment. So if you open up your own presence, your own present, you're living the gift of life right there and you're seeing it unfold in front of your very eyes in the palm of your hands. And that that's really what's made this experience so unique is being able to be utmost present, which is one of the most difficult things you could do. And because our mind, our human mind wants to go to the past, it wants to go to the future. And it's very hard to grab that mind and bring it down and be like, hey, man, you're here right now. Be right here. Be present. And that's why I feel so alive with you right now talking about this and connecting with you, because there is no other moment in time. There'll never be any other moment in time. We only have this moment right here, right now. Oh my God. I could feel all of that. And I think that's one of the reasons I was so desperate to get you on here is because (laughs) you speak with your whole heart. You speak with that presence and you truly are a huge gift. Anyway, I'm so grateful that we connected. So are you. I mean, we live in a vibrational reality, Amanda. And so if you feel that I'm a gift, that's really your own gift in return, giving you a hug. 
So Aww. from we're both gifts to the world, your gift as your gift is as equal as my gift. And I'm just really honored and blessed to have been sharing this space with you. Oh, thank you so, so much. I'm going to ask you one last question and then I'll get people yeah. to um, you to share your links of where people can find you. Yeah. What does being a divine and messy human mean to you? <laughs> divine, messy human. So one of the most some of the most wonderful quotes I have I have learned being messy in regards to being a divine, messy human is that there are no mistakes because everything is a recalibration toward clarity. So anytime you make a mistake or you think there is a mistake, that's just that's just source energy pushing you towards your inner being, pushing you towards what's more clear for you, your clearer path. I've learned that being a divine, messy human means that there are no rejections in life. Everything is a redirection, constantly redirection. Anytime you feel rejected, there's no there's no rejections. And that success is not final and failure is not fatal. So you will constantly, you'll never get it done. You're constantly reaching for success. And if you fail, it's, it's not, it, you're not going to die. So just, um, your soul is eternal. You're never going to die anyway. I love, 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 love that. <laughs> oh, thank you so, so much. How can people find you? So they can find everything about me on my website at www.alittlelessfear.com. There you can find the links to my book, incredible resources. My Instagram is on there. TikTok is on there. YouTube is on there. And all of my social media handles are at Little Less Fear Podcast. And I must say some of the poems that you have shared have been amazing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <clears throat> I love following you. And I've loved connecting you and I've just been so grateful to have you in my life. So thank you so, so thank much you, for Amanda. sharing your love, your heart, your wisdom with us today. You're very, very appreciated. And you're appreciated. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Divine Messy Human. I am always learning new ways of being, unlearning my old conditioning and repatterning my beliefs to serve myself and others to the highest degree possible. The opinions and beliefs expressed in this podcast are mine and all my guests from personal and learned experience. Please use your own discernment and take what resonates, leaving the rest. I am constantly evolving and ready to implement new ideas. Harm is never intended. If you loved this podcast, please share, rate and review. Every little bit helps. And if there's a topic you'd like me to cover, please reach out through email or messenger. Sending you love healing and blessings.